You put a god between your enemy and the people. For the word of the Almighty, between the crosshairs of their muskets, you'll see. The people won't falter, not one bit. Faith. She's no god. She's just a machine. You feed her, and she delivers. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello everybody and welcome back to the second episode of the fear of God in the year 2019. Uh, We had a robust and ribald conversation last week, um, discussing an, an, a panoply of things, if you will. Um, just, uh, just go listen to it. There's a whole lot happening. Great conversation about the film 1922 as we kick off not just our umbrella series hashtag 19, but also where we find ourselves even today back in hashtag Netflix and chills. So we are continuing uh, with the second episode of Netflix and chills with you right now is, I mean, let's be honest, one of your favorite hosts, Nathan Rouse, your, your other favorite host, uh, Reed Lackey. He was here a moment ago, but then he left me. He, he, he left all of us to suffer. Um, so I, I don't know what's going to happen, but hopefully he'll return. In the meantime, I am going to encourage, ask, entreat, implore you to go to iTunes. It's a new year. It's time for a new review. We maybe have some new listeners. We may have lost some listeners in the break. I don't know. But regardless, here you are. Here we are. Go leave us a review on iTunes. It's awesome. I don't know that it matters in the scheme of eternity, but it kind of matters to us, and that's cool, and you matter to us. So, again, we are jumping back in to Netflix and Chills, and back with me right now, he led his parish into the heart of Peking, Reed Lackey! <laughs> hey, buddy. Oh, hey, man. I'm Apostle Lackey, back from back from the mission field. Uh, yeah. Hopefully faring better than the one in this film, but uh, but yes, indeed. I am back. Well, welcome, friend. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. Welcome, brother. Welcome, there you brother. Go. Yes. <laughs> um, it's good to see you. Um, you as I well. I don't know about you, but I felt really good about last week. That was a fun oh, time. Oh, man. It felt good to be back. I, feel, I think that was a really great... I, I will say this. So I knew it would feel good to be having conversations again and to be recording again. I knew that was to be the case. I was unprepared for and delightfully so 
just how substantive the conversation around 1922 became because it's a film that I admired quite a bit, but wasn't quite sure exactly how we would unpack it and uh, was, again, and delightful. did we ever. <laughs> we sure did. Um, that's a we really held long that, episode. We held that movie down and slit its throat. It struggled too, but it, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. we got it. We got it. We said this will be quick, and it was not. <laughs> Just like <this. laughs> wow. No, but in the in the spirit of brevity, this was a good this was a good episode, wasn't it, Reed? Good to oh, see you yes. again. Yes. All right, absolutely. guys. Well, we will see you next week. Just kidding. <laughs> So today, today we are discussing, um, just spoiler alert, we'll jump right into the content of what we're discussing. We are, as mentioned at the end of last week, talking today about Gareth Evans' film Apostle for this current series we're in, um, where we are tackling specifically films um, developed for Netflix. Again, last week discussing 1922, this week discussing um, Apostle. Um, so again, in the middle of that series, uh, we are also tagging in on a little sub-series on uh, revisiting conceptually what we did last mm-hmm, year. With a- mm-hmm. What you watching? Wow. What you reading? You just did that. What, the, what you listening to? <laughs> <laughs> what you watching? What, I oh, was, I'm sorry. Don't, don't No, no. You just, uh, you just yeah. jamming over there. I'm just, I'm just over was, here rocking out to it. I was getting ahead of myself. My, so, my apologies. I want to I want to tell you something. This maybe could count as a, as a watch and read and listen to it. It wasn't what I was going to mention, but uh, it can maybe count. So I love my wife, and my wife and I, we love to be goofballs. We love to to be a little silly every once in a while. So we watched. I don't know if you know. There's this um, this uh, recurring thing where uh, uh, networks are doing live renditions of musicals. Right. Uh, they did The Sound of Music. They did uh, Grease. Uh, they did. Uh, I'm I'm blanking on a couple of the others, but they the did most re- Jesus Christ Superstar. They did Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes, yes. There have been a couple of them uh, with you know, differing levels of success. And then Fox just did, uh, as of this recording, it's been a few weeks now, probably like three or four weeks, but it's pretty recent to the recording. Uh, they did Rent live. And uh, have you ever seen Rent? Have you ever seen I, the, the musical? I, I have not. Okay, so a lot of, uh, th- this is this is going to be a bit lost on you, but it, uh, so we watched Rent. Rent is a, a is a really powerful and affecting musical. Uh, I go back and forth on some of the songs. Some of the songs are, are, are like they've been played so much that they kind of now have tipped over into a bit of annoyance. That's not the song's fault. It's just the saturation's fault. But uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a powerful and compelling musical. But I have this tendency after we've done uh, after we've experienced a thing together to say, I wonder what it would be like if the Muppets did that, and. This morning, I was walking around, <laughs> and uh, that's, you were talking about how I was just jamming out to watch and read and listen to it. And so, it, it, listeners who may be familiar with Rent, I was actively wondering this morning and joking around with my wife of what it would be like <laughs> if this very like hard-hitting musical about uh, struggling to make ends meet uh, people <laughs> were performed by... Muppets and uh, yeah, so it was just yeah. I, I'm not going to affect some of the voices right here. That's uh, that's probably best left off mic. But uh, it just it it just made me think about like oh yeah, it's I'm sitting here jamming out most of the time when I'm jamming. It's either me or it's me, uh, you know, invoking some Muppet that uh, that that I like. 
somehow i you know not knowing <laughs> the the story of rent but having a rough idea i can picture a number where uh kermit is in the particular production uh, 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 a drag queen and he sings the song <laughs> it's not easy being a queen you know <laughs> <laughs> oh he's a down a down on his luck drag queen it works Maybe somewhere maybe. over oh the my gosh. Uh, no 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 um the rainbow connection dude that's got oh, rent the rainbow all over it. there it is there it right. is it's right you there. know what what I wish I wish you knew some of those songs <laughs> so that I could just bust out with some of them right now they'd be mm, lost on you but they, that's, yes that's they okay. totally would right. um, but uh, anyway so that wasn't that wasn't what my watch and read and listening to was that's just a a, a passing well, insertion what are you, you watching thank reading you for regaling us to. with that um no, you're welcome you know what I was gonna go one direction I'm gonna pivot a complete opposite you've been listening um, to one direction. What what? Um, I was even trying to. I was trying to in the moment conjure some of their names, but I don't know their names. Um, there was that one guy, Zane. Then there was Zane. He was. In, dude, I don't um, know. I don't know nothing about. Well, one, one of them was I, in Dunkirk. You just. Oh, I do remember that one of them was in Dunkirk. I don't. know I his actually name think I read that Christopher Nolan didn't know, like, knew he was, you know, had a had, was a performer or whatever, but didn't realize his reputation before casting him. And I, oh, wow. I could be totally making this up, but I think as the story went, he kind of second guessed himself after realizing it, but kind of, you know, whatever. Huh. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so gosh, it's been a month since we've talked really. And there's been a lot yes. that I've watched, read and listened to. Um, I'm going to tell you what I read. So, Okay. And there's because uh, there's so many things to pull from here. I did get for Christmas and did read in January. Um, there's a book by Kate Hennessy. Uh, she is the granddaughter of Dorothy Day. Do you know who Dorothy? Day, do you know who Dorothy Day is? The name rings a bell, but I'd, uh... um, not to be confused with Doris Day at all. But um, the book is called Dorothy Day: uh, Beauty Will Save the World. I believe is the subtitle and. Mm. Honestly, I just wanted, I found the this person of Dorothy Day's story compelling. The book sounded interesting. I threw it on my wish list. I got it for Christmas. I read it. It was compelling and fascinating. Dorothy Day was um, an early 20th century uh, figure in the Catholic Church, but mm. is known historically for pushing a very social uh, I hate even using this phrase because of connotations, but a very social justice kind of uh, what would have been progressive at that time, active mm. activistic sort of. She she started what's called the Catholic Worker. Um, the Catholic Worker oh. is effectively, you know, uh, detractors might call it a hippie commune, but that's effectively what it was. It was just oh, pe- pe- okay. uh, intentional community um, and all the pitfalls and and extreme lows and occasional highs of that sort of life and the book is just kate hennessy is her granddaughter um so it's kind of this lineage slash memoir story of her influence and i didn't know this the catholic church is actually considering canonizing her and that's one of the reasons she is uh very prominent in the that sect's conversation these days so anyway um okay very, very interesting story really kind of painted a really fascinating picture of activism as it intersected and or could be birthed out of the church in the early 20th century and all the troubling 
not troubling, all the ways that those efforts were troubled by so many external factors. Anyway, I gotcha. in- interesting oh, I story, gotcha. interesting read, much like you. What are you watching, <laughs> reading, and listening to? I'm an interesting to? read. You are. Um, uh, mine is a coinciding TV show and and book that I'm that I just finished the first season of the TV show and then went and uh, went back to the book. I had it had been years since I first read and Confession Time did not complete the first time through uh, the reading of Dan Simmons' novel The Terror. Um, it's a behemoth of a book. Ooh, I've heard uh, that TV show is great. The TV show is quite great and is really compelling. And I finally I had had the TV show sitting on my DVR, sort of, you know, just hovering down as something I eventually needed to get to. And so I did, I finally did, and binged it pretty efficiently uh, within the span of like three or four days, uh, all 10 episodes. What's amazing to me, and without spoilers to it, is I'm really amazed given where the first season of the TV show landed and the fact that the first season of the TV show pretty much encompasses the entirety of the book. I am amazed that they have been renewed for a second season. I'm not quite sure where they're going to go in a second season, but uh, the premise of the terror is it is based on, it's based on a true account of a disappearing voyage that was searching for the Arctic Northwest Passage. The HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror vanished. Uh, they they were not discovered, or at least their the the whereabouts were not fully understood. And so what Dan Simmons has done, the author, is Dan Simmons then speculated what it might have been like for them out on that ice. And so they get ice-locked, the ships get ice-locked, and they are forced to to stay there and to struggle to survive against the elements um, and against uh, eventual threat of starvation. Meanwhile, while this crew of 100-plus uh, men are trying to survive— uh, they come to be aware that they are actively being hunted by some monstrous beast, um, and that's as much as I probably should say about the about the story. Um, the TV show was on AMC. I think it's available uh, either on Hulu for on demand or uh, available in uh, one or two places. I'm not quite sure where, um, but uh, yeah. So I finished the first season of The Terror. Greatly enjoyed it. Got some strong performances, got some surprises along the way, and uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I've heard great things about the, book the series. I, I don't know that I knew it was based on a book. I don't remember that knowledge, but that is interesting to know. Um, the book's massive. It's like 800 pages. I mean, mm. it's nothing compared to The Stand, but but no, the book is massive. And yeah, and I didn't finish it the first well, time. Well, I finished that I Dorothy did. Day book, so my reading for the year is over. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, awesome. Well... You know, that has been another installment of What You Watchin', What You Readin', What Are You Listening To? Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> it, sound, it sounds like you're sick. <laughs> my All favorite right. one to yeah. do, my favorite Muppet to do is just uh, the Swedish chef because you can just say a bunch of gibberish and it's just. That's right. That's right. Hey, Reed. Reed. Hey, buddy. We're ba- hey, guess what? Guess what? what? You know how what? we're doing Netflix and chills? Yes. I don't know if you heard. We're doing a whole other series concurrent to that. So like this we episode are. in people's feeds, it says Apostle. 
and that's cool, you know, whatever. But in addition to that, bro, it is time for <laughs> installment number two of 2019's hashtag TV guidepost featuring none other than Mike Flanagan's 10 episode Magnificat. Am I allowed to say that? Is that, is that sure. heretical? Um, I'm not uh, sure. The- <laughs> ah, you can scrub that one. Uh, <laughs> the the haunting of Hill House. So we are yes. going to yes. jump back in um, to the house that Hill built and <laughs> um, talk about and briefly. Yeah, and and talk about briefly episode two. We did talk about episode one last week. If you somehow missed last week, uh, I get it. It's like it's like five hours or something. Um, <laughs> If you some if you somehow decided to skip it because you're that guy, um, just FYI, we are going to be over the course of last week, this week, and the coming six or seven weeks, touching briefly and however so lightly on an episode of The Haunting of Hill House, directly addressing likes, dislikes, and scares of episodes in sequence until we finish it all off with one dedicated Fear of God episode to The Haunting of Hill House, where we will unpack the final episodes, as well as the series themes, as well as random other production type things we want to talk about. Um, it's Indeed. going to be a lot of fun because this is a, a fantastic series that if you have not watched, jump on board, m- go meet that bent necked lady. And we are going to, <laughs> we're going to talk about episode two right now. I did not write down the names of the episodes. What's, what's the name of this episode? I know? did. This one's called Open Casket. Mm, that makes sense. Yep. So this is a Shirley-focused episode. The series is about five siblings, both as adults and as children, their encounter with their parents in the Hill House of the title and the hauntings that affected them within the house and the hauntings that afflict them throughout their lives. You like that? That was a pretty good I, little Yeah, did you summary. come up with that yourself or did you... Right, did you, right off the top of my head in That's this moment. Great. Nothing That's is very, written. I'm very. I'm just... I'm just extemporaneous. That's me. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what sort of immediate uh, notes, likes, dislikes do you have, Reed? So uh, on in the likes, dislikes category, because um, uh, most of my notes of this one are actually uh, in the in more of the scares factor. But I, I do like, and you pick up on if you're watching this through for the first time. You pick up on that obviously the first episode, though touching on all of the different characters was really centered around Steven. And as you mentioned, this is a Shirley-centric episode, so we spend a lot more time with her than we do with the other siblings, even though, again, the other siblings are shown at least in one scene each, um, and we develop their characters a bit more. We spend a lot of time with Shirley. I do... This... Shirley is my least favorite character of the siblings, not because I think she's the least developed or because I don't think they do a good job with it, just she's the one I that endears herself the least to me. So she's the one that, while I kind of understand her arc and I buy her arc, I think the actress is quite believable and uh, delivers a really substantive performance, but she's the character that I don't, I'm not really on board with. I will mention it. I don't even know if it's a like. I'm going to go ahead and call it a like because it's compelling storytelling. The moment towards the end where you see that she actively stopped Luke from attending Nell's wedding. Yeah. It's a heartbreaking moment because they do a really good job of making you understand why she does that. And at the same time of you not being, this was my experience, at the same time of you not being on board for her doing that. 
So you don't you don't really I, I, want her to. It's but. funny you say it's funny you cite that. I actually put that scene it's it's loose, understand that, but I put it on scares because uh, it it so resonated and, and this series is so, gets so well and is even currently so good at developing these characters' dynamics and relationships. But I, I don't know if, if you're having this experience uh watching this show. I know you have an older sister feel free mm-hmm. or not to touch on that relationship. But I am a middle child with an older brother and a younger sister. And I don't know this time watching it through so far. I just, I don't know. It's cause, and, and you know, this feeling when you're rewatching a thing, it, it, it sort of filters through a different lens, just, you know, you're less experiencing it fresh and more just objectively like, okay, how do I feel about this now that I know kind of where it goes? You can consider, right. you can right. consider the pieces in a deeper fashion than you might have previously, but I, I don't know. I'm just really worried about the emotionality I'm going to feel by the end of it because of how it's making yeah. me think of my relationship to my siblings. But yeah, specific, specifically tying back into what you're saying in terms of scares, just this need I think you just sort of alluded to this. Like you don't, you don't even disagree with Shirley's choice per se. Right. Not that, not that you're like, Hey, she did a good thing, but as in, it makes a lot of sense. She is trying to establish some boundaries so that Nell can have a fruitful, lovely day, not plagued by her brother's demons, basically. Um, So, so what I wrote in terms of scares was just this need to set boundaries as an adult, like how hard, Mm. how hard that is and how, crappy it can be yeah yeah i agree i think that yeah you you mentioned about you know my relationship with my older sister it's a bit different in that my there's uh, an 11 year age gap between Uh me and my sister um so not only older but also touches edges up to generational differences i know a full generation would be like 20 years so it's not quite that but just our our priorities are always sort of shifting by more than a decade literally and uh and so that's been that's been kind of different in, in terms of what most people would deem you know a sibling dynamic i don't have a proximal sibling to me right but uh but i will say that like as you watch the as you watch hill house it does begin to make you reconsider all of the relationships about which you have such shared common experiences like family, you know, it makes you reassess the ways in which you have tried to influence and in some ways control. And that's, that's one thing I will say about Shirley's character is that she's very controlling. She needs to control. She is to the degree where she's very frustrated because she's not the oldest sibling. Steven is right. But she feels saddled with the sort of weight of responsibility. She feels yep. like she's the one that has to do everything right, fix things, take care of everything. This would bleed for me from likes into scares, but uh, their mom talked about how Shirley was going to be traumatized after all of those things that happened with the cats and said she's going to be traumatized by death. And I found it so interesting this time around. It, it didn't click with me the first time through, but her mom makes that statement like, oh, she's going to be so traumatized by death. And I'm like, Wow, and she went into the funeral home business. Right, right. Like whatever, if you want to call it a result of trauma, if you will, or whatever, but just something impacted her, and and they they actually have it in this in this episode where she sees her mom, and the the says of to the funeral director, you fixed her, like, and it it's fascinating to me. I know I said she's my, I I shouldn't say she's my least favorite character because they're all interesting. 
she's the one that endears herself to me the least. I don't know if I phrased it that way earlier or not, but that that's a more appropriate assessment of my feelings towards her. I'm not very endeared towards Shirley, whereas I'm quite endeared to some of the other ones. But she is one she's just she's a difficult character to navigate around because she won't let anybody really near her. And uh, she does feel this need to sort of be above the fray and and set everything in order. Uh, she demands in this episode, demands that she be the one to take care of Nell when right. Nell has died. Well, I and, think, uh, I think yeah. you, you honed in on something there and, and maybe inadvertently left some puzzle, some pieces on the table there. But like, yes, the kittens. Yes, mom says she's going to be traumatized by death. I think the reason she's the hardest to plug into is because from a character perspective and, and in the performance, this has to, this just kind of has to happen by default. You, you did say this bears that responsibility, but like, you know, the kittens die and that's tra- traumatizing. Well, this funeral director, young Shirley, upon seeing her mother, whom she was worried would be, you know, kind of battered or whatever, you know, uh, unpleasant to, to, to bear sight of, she says, you fixed her. Well, yes, that's the connecting point. Shirley becomes the fixer of the family. She's the one who fixes everyone's problems. She's the one who pays for Luke to undergo rehab, um, mm. especially when Stephen can't. You know, she's the one who literally fixes the dead uh, in order that the the living aren't too disrupted by the dead. Right, you right. You know? Yeah. Um, and this echoes forward into the one of the dad's recurring uh bits of dialogue is i'll fix it but oh. when we'll get we'll get to this in the series he doesn't he he is not a fixer right he, he actually right. he doesn't he's not bumbling by any means but in other words he doesn't just like break crap haphazardly but right per, right he does not fix things Shirley is the one who fixes things and so i think that's yes. what makes her emotionally difficult to plug into because she won't let you into those things yeah, regardless exactly. that's that's a lot about her specifically i this is like super random but i said that the funeral worker who takes little shirley to live's body has some weird ass facial hair like he <laughs> like it really stands out i'm like why yeah. did they cast yeah. this guy he has he he has three different facial hair styles happening on <laughs> one face he's got the chin strap it does look he's really got weird. a soul patch and he's got a mustache. Like, yeah, they're yeah. they're not connected. Come on, man. You know, like they literally <laughs> just went on. for a weirdo look for that actor. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would wonder if it's really as we- if it's really as real hair. Like it just looks. Oh, sort of, oh, it absolutely is. Yes, that is absolutely <laughs> that actor's hair. They he, he showed them the headshot and he was like, "Hey, what you think, man?" They're like, "I guess." Okay, fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I guess it's right, fine. right. Yeah, we'll go for it. He's a funeral, um, he's a funeral director. He's kind of a weirdo, so it so we'll just go for it. Well, uh, tipping a bit before we before we you know close this episode literally and uh, and move on into the substance of what we're here to talk about. Um, a few scares because there's some big ones in this for me. Uh, the hornet nest face made me jump like so bad. Is that the the dad. What? No, where where she's taken, where little Shirley is taking a photo in the oh, discovered oh, back, back house shed thing, right, right, and then sees like a face that is, and and for listeners love, who may not, have I seen, love how the caretaker he pulls that mask out 
And he acts like that's not scary. Oh, look. I know, right? It's just a Halloween mask. I'm like, bro, that thing is scary. (laughs) Weird cult lived here before. (laughs) That this is like, you talk about some weird Halloween mask. But yeah, no, that, that, but that image when it is sort of surrounded by the hornet's nest, that is, that is really alarming. And I know that you have an aversion to creepy crawlies. Dude, the, the flipping, Cat, the so okay. So for listeners who may not have seen this episode and are not intending to go watch, watch this, this show, come on, y'all. Go watch, yes, go watch this show. So thank you for watching the show. Now that you're back, <laughs> you know that you know that scene where they're giving the cat the funeral, and you want to talk about like Ugh. I think I mentioned something akin when we last talked about the show that it strikes this alarmingly effective balance of emotion pulling at your heartstrings ripping right into and bleeding right into fearful moments and vice versa fearful moments bleeding right into something that resonates very powerfully emotionally well that's one where you're just like oh that kid that kitten that kitten made it that kid you know like oh i see it oh the kitten's alive blah blah, blah. no kitten ain't alive there's something moving inside kitten that is that is uh, yes anyway it's upsetting to think about so yeah but then when it appears again as she's examining Nell and Nell's body, uh, it's yeah, it, it it's a terribly unsettling and frightening sequence and callback and just yes, the show is really starting to drill down on the creep factor. Yes, some real quick bullets. One, this is the first on-screen appearance of Abigail. Um, she's referenced in episode one. She will have yes. some significance later on. Uh, I gotta give some shout-outs. I don't know if my boy Mike Flanagan. He must be a fan because this is a super, even though he's got more cultural cachet than he did five years ago, it's still a bit adjacent to most popular characters to reference. My boy, Shirley's son, wants to be Daredevil for Halloween, favorite yeah. in, favorite Marvel yeah. character in the world, showing up in Haunting of Hill House. That's pretty awesome. Um, As her so, idiot self says, Devil Man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She, she don't know But nothing. yes. She don't know nothing. <laughs> That's like that's like the your the parents of the comic reading kid. I don't know anything about that. Being like, why do you buy them comic books? Come on, man. <laughs> um, let the boy dress like Daredevil. Um, I will say, <laughs> um, my other scare on the list specifically is less related to anything haunting specific, and more the fact that oh my god, I think I want to be cremated now because I really am not a fan of what happens to a dead oh. body. That was awful. That's awful. Yeah, it was pretty. It's pretty gruesome. Yeah, it's oh pretty gosh. gruesome. I have one scare, and then there's a there's a like that I didn't mention that I forgot to mention. Um, so I'll mention the scare since that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the child Shirley and child Theo scene with the banging on the wall is bad enough. That's creepy enough, and that's that's awful enough. But then when you think the scene is over, oh, and they're daddy. having yes, you know where I'm going, daddy, and no. they. Ha- they're <laughs> daddy no daddy get away <laughs> they're have and they're having the downtime talk with dad and and he's and for, oh my gosh the when he's sitting there talking to them flanagan is so sharp and you mentioned the bed pulling back last last right. episode he lingers on something just long enough for you to be like okay i can it's relax all good. Now. and then yeah and then throws in this other thing dad's giving them a little like afterward pep talk see it's okay it's all over it's all over and then the second time he says over suddenly his face begins to distort and the word oh takes on this big weird grumble and i 
mess myself. Like it's bad. <laughs> like it's awful that 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 whole scare is one of the freakiest things. I think about that scare and then another scare that comes like in the ninth episode, I think. No, it's eight. I think about it's eight. Is it eight? You know yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, but I think about those two scares more than almost any other in the run of the show. The dad, the dad face, and the eight. The dad face, yes. Oh, those are the dad. The, the the eight scare is like next level. That's like that is it is pretty next level. Yeah. Yes, we'll get there. But the dad face thing, it again, it just throws me off because that's a moment where you relax. The yeah. scare has yeah. happened. The banging on the walls is over. It's done. So you relax, and then. His and then you, his, you you poop yourself. Yeah, and then that's exactly what happened. It's sorry. like the the ha- the haunting at Hill House turns into the crapping at Lackey House. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> um, pivoting out of that. But before we leave this, uh, I forgot to mention in my likes dislikes. I love the line. There's lots of great single lines in these, and I had forgotten uh, with a little bit of distance on the show. I love the line the mom says to her at the cat's funeral, where she says, ah! we're, "We're all stories in the yes. end." It's yes. so wonderful. Theme, oh, bro. Theme. So- Theme, bro. Yeah. Theme. Oh, it's great. So mentioning it here for when we yeah. eventually get to it. It's great. So, yeah, that was uh, uh, this installment of Hashtag TV Guideposts. Again, we're going to be tagging in on a new episode of The Haunting of Hill House in every larger episode of our show, uh, right up until we have our full conversation about the thematic substance of The Haunting of Hill House and review the show more it feels, in total. It kind of feels dumb that we just now stumbled on this format. I know, right? But I almost think, yeah, you know, I mean, side tangent and maybe for, you know, another time off mic, I kind of want to like always have a show that we're making our way through. Like I kind of I kind of like this. I kind of like always always in. is a big word, but yes, I do like what you're I, I just I of. like it. I like it. We just keep something going. I li- I like it. Yeah. I mean, listeners can't see I'm like boxing. It's like book club. It is like book club, but it's like Hill House Club, like right. TV Guidepost Club. So, yeah. read. Like Poop Club. Let's jump into Poop Club um, <laughs> with a new installment of Netflix and Chills. Uh, oh, featuring, my gosh. Featuring today Gareth Evans' Apostle. Now, real quick, have you seen either of the Raid films? No, you've refer- you've raved about them before, and I need to see them. They've been on my list for a while to catch, and just hey, I haven't made it to them. Now, yes, I will continue to rave about the Raids. They're they're thematically extremely different, but stylistically, they they aren't similar stylistically per se. But just he has a style, he has a panache, he has a very um, stylistic eye for his films. And the Raid films, as action films, are fantastic. Like just really, really, really great stuff. So it is interesting how different this is from those, though. And so kudos to him for. Um, the the level of variety he's already beginning to show in his work. He's got one other film. I don't remember the name of it. I did look it up earlier tonight, but I don't remember the name of it. Um, so we are jumping into Apostle. This is, I believe, is definitely mine. I believe your first time viewing it. Yes, this it is, is. This is one of those. I, I might be speaking for you here. I know for me, it dropped. You know, late summer, early fall. I just knew, hey, we're going to get to that. So I just kind of held off. Um, it dropped in October. It oh, actually okay. dropped right in the middle. Yeah, it dropped right in the middle of Netflix's big Halloween lineup. This was one of the major. So Haunting of Hill House, ironically, was the big major Halloween release for Netflix in October. But Apostle, in terms of a film, was one of its biggest sort of acquisitions and releases. 
Awesome. Yeah. And so stars Dan Stevens, Michael Sheen, and the loose summary is, oh my God, there's no easy way to loosely summarize this, but um, (laughs) Dan Stevens' sister has been absconded with, voluntarily joined. You and I can discuss that because that was point was slightly confusing to me um Mm. into this effectively like a cult but they're on this like secretive island and he infiltrates this cult to try to rescue his sister is the very bare bones version of things right um he comes to discover literally uh ultimately there is this kind of goddess type creature person thing on the island um, that these cult members, honestly, when I was watching it, I thought of Wicker Man a lot. Um, I, that was, that was literally going to be, I don't have any trivia on this. So like kind of to substitute trivial bits, I was going to mention, like, I could not get through the first 30 minutes of this without constantly thinking of the Wicker Man. Obviously right, they're after, right. the films are after very different things. Um, but it, it's almost hard for any, I mean, I love Wicker Man, you know, you know, I do. Oh, I, I know I, you uh, do, brother. Yeah, I do. But, um, it's hard to see any film about a cultish group on an island and not immediately go to Wicker Man. And not immediately like, want to strip down to your nothings don't, don't, and dance don't, around stop, a room. Stop. Stop with the Maypole. Stop. <laughs> stop. <laughs> that, I wish I had some of those no. lines at the ready because I would use them, but I don't have them. Um, oh, my gosh. So, yes, yes, yes. Very Lots of echoes of Wicker Man until it literally is not because this does take right. a very direct pivot into monster movie i don't know exactly how how we'd categorize this but grizzly for sure yes it is definitely grizzly so are you open to just moving into likes dislikes yeah let's do it okay yeah, yeah absolutely i do i'm just generally a fan of dan stevens i don't love the way he left downton abbey if i'm going to be perfectly frank and we can go talk about the downton abbey Preach. for a while Preach. but i don't Preach. love the way he left that um that said he's great in the guest he's great in legion He's mm-hmm. he he looks fantastic in Beauty and the Beast. Um, here he is again. <laughs> the phone kind of broke up for a second, and I was like, "What?" Um, but uh, so I will say this: I have really enjoyed Dan Stevens as an actor in films. I'm excited by him as a performer. I think he's really exceptional. He's got a really impressive range. If there was a world in which he could have just Again, either not left Downton Abbey yeah. or left it differently and us still get all those things. That had not been said, like, he's impressive in his in his range and in the types of projects he's yes. he's taken on. I haven't seen everything he's done post Downton Abbey, but he's definitely very impressive. I can't remember. Um, Have you seen any of Legion? No, it's another one like The Terror that's just been sitting there on my DVR both seasons, I w- actually, that I, just, I need to get to. I would hesitate to tell you it's an urgent watch, but it's it's definitely compelling and interesting and and, yeah you know the production is fantastic and he's really strong in it cool cool yeah i really really dig him my favorite thing that i saw him in uh is still the guest yeah the guest is wonderful we should get to the guest at some point i'm sure we will but that's that's still my favorite thing that i've seen him in i don't know downton's downton's legit Oh, I mean post Downton. I'm sorry, I, know, I should I say, know, but yeah, <laughs> like, but dude, Downton's great. Downton's that was great. I mean, let's we need to about, figure out. We, let's <laughs> just talk about Downton. Let's talk about those costumes. I told him last week how I have no, you know, uh, identity attachment to my masculinity. I'm down to talk about some Downton Abbey. 
YouTube. Oh. That's so great. I want to turn it on right now. <laughs> that music, what my, bro. That music. Oh, my gosh. One of my favorite things to do is, is whenever somebody's being a little too big for their britches or something like that, I'll look over my wife and, like, start to, like, affect the little Maggie Smith head while. The dowager. Like, mm, mm, the dowager's like, hmm, shrimpy. Mm. Do you know we almost named our third daughter uh, Margaret slash Dow- Maggie? No, dummy. <laughs> Margaret slash Maggie after Maggie Smith. That um, I did not know that. Yeah, That's yeah. really cool. It was defi- That's really it was cool. definitely in the running. And come That's on, awesome. that soundtrack, apropos of oh, n- apropos of nothing, has one of the finest versions of U2's With or Without You you'll ever hear. Yes, it does. Yes, but it, it does. but it literally has zero connection to the series. No. <laughs> Somehow. I, I don't remember any boys choir singing with or without you, and I don't remember. <laughs> and you'd remember that. Singing. That's right. I don't what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember the boys' choir singing "Every Breath You Take." Like I don't, like I don't remember those things. But that soundtrack is is Wait, amazing. Is it "Every Breath it's You wonderful. Take" or "With or Without You"? It's both. Both of those songs are sung by mm, the boys' choir on the soundtrack in Downton. So Day. entranced. Yeah. Oh, it's great. But I just forget. I just get lost. No, it's great. Downton Abbey's awesome. It is great. Why it's good. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, speaking <laughs> speaking of Wicker Man, let's go back to the <laughs> island for, for a bit. So Dan Stevens, clearly, <laughs> we're be, we we're have be knee deep serious in, like, man crushes on on Dan Stevens. Um, but, you know, but here's what's gonna happen. Like I predict, we're gonna be like ankle deep in Crazy Lady through the sewers and Wicker Face, whatever his name is. That scene then, gives a whole new meaning to holy. Uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners don't know. Listeners don't know. <laughs> Tell them. That in, in the early days of the fear of God, when we were developing it, we actively, we actively considered, but we didn't, I mean, we wanted to, I mean, these days we just bleep it when we, when we say something and that's going to be the way it is for the life of the show. But, but we actively considered having our scares segment where we talked about scares in this conversation about faith and fear and the fear of God. We actively considered calling it holy moments. We actively considered that. That is so funny. I had forgotten that. Uh, Yes. It's still, it's still perfect. It's yeah. So, so there it is. But, uh, but no man, like, well, what I was about to say was we will be like ankle deep in all of that gruesome conversation and still be like, Oh man, Carson wouldn't be having any of that. Carson would be like, <laughs> Carson would be like, bring in the, bring in the, the better bowl, the better table. You yes. Know, like, oh, that's, that's what's, right. what's the, what's the, um, I referred to him as the Buster Bluth of Downton Abbey. What is, who, oh my gosh! I know who you're talking about. The I middle, can't pull his the, name out. He, he he starts to be featured more in the middle of the series, although he, he he's probably there more than I remember. Um, but talking about the yeah, he's the like bum, the, the balding bumbling bump. guy. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. he's so funny. <laughs> we, can't, he's so funny. <laughs> we can't we can't recall the poor guy's mm, name. <laughs> it'll it'll come to me. Let's, oh, that's great. You know what we should do? We should just interrupt an episode <laughs> of the Fear of God for ten minutes. Talk about Downton Abbey. <laughs> I think we already Will did. You please play the in, the opening theme music <laughs> underneath this part of the episode. That's so great. Wait, let's just listen to it. Let's just listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm so wow. excited for that movie. You know? Oh my gosh. Listeners have tuned out now at this point. For, yes. I tuned in to see this apostle <laughs> thing, and then <laughs> the worst is the people who watch the movie <laughs> watch the movie preemptively for us to talk about. <laughs> and then we're regaling mm. him with this all of this this regal like Downton Abbey. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. It's great. All right. I can't wait for that all right. movie. Let's try. Let's, anyway. let's try to get back to it. Okay. okay. Um so, so Dan, Stevens, Dan Stevens turns he's out great. he's good. He's good. He's yeah. good people. Um He's great. I thought the score was great. I thought the vibe, the general kind of ominous vibe is really strong. Um, yeah, I I agree. I agree. I think the pacing is okay, so I was prepared for in a 2 hour and 9 minute movie. And maybe that you can speak a little bit more to this about Gareth Evans' experience with the raid and everything. I was prepared for kind of a more deliberately paced, uh, you know, absorbing, uh, meticulous kind of thing. This this movie moves. I don't know if it if it felt that way to you, but like it it was uh, easily an hour and ten minutes into it before I even thought to look at the clock. Like it was it this this movie for me trucked along really really well. I was just surprised by the pacing. Hmm. Was that not your experience? No, no, no. I, I didn't have an opinion on the pacing. I watched this oh. uh, like um, 1922 with headphones on an iPad at a bed and breakfast in the New Orleans. Um, <laughs> the New Orleans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't note the pace too much. I, I do. Now, hear me. There, you you can readily strike this note down, and I wouldn't fight you too hard on it. I do almost wonder if there's too much going on in it. It's it's pretty stuffed. Mm. There's a lot happening, and there's a lot to kind of parse out and work with. Okay, I'll I'll be specific here, and this may be nitpicking, and I can receive that. By the end of the film, I thought the level of specificity of some of the cult got kind of buried under things that the movie grew less interested in. That's a really vague way of saying. No, I don't disagree with you at all. I had I had okay. I, I don't know that I would have phrased it exactly the same way, but I had a very similar complaint where I was like the 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 sort of uh fundamentals of the cult are really not important to the movie or at least don't don't seem to be. Well, except that there are several what if you just want to buy in are appear to be fundamentals of this cult that are so specific and barbaric mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, this doesn't make, okay. So the two instances, one is that like Mark, uh, Michael, I keep wanting to call him Martin Sheen. Michael I Sheen do the same thing. has, yeah, I know has this like Imperial guard a la Emperor Palpatine, <laughs> you know, following him around everywhere. But specifically, they get they get attacked by someone off island who's infiltrated. Right. That isn't right. Dan, that isn't Dan Stevens, who I don't know if you know this, but is breathtaking in Downton Abbey. Um, he's so great. And you know who else is great in Downton Abbey? I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> Mister God, what is his name? You gotta look that up. Um, um, <laughs> Stay tuned to the end of the episode when we finally pull out of our butts who this bumbling. <laughs> Lovely guy is. It's not. It's not All Bates. Picked, Bates is the guy. The no, poor no, 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 Anna no. and Bates. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, real quick. <laughs> so back. St- focus, Reed. Focus. Come on, stay with me, buddy. I'm the one. I'm the one for whom it's twelve thirty on a it's Monday a fair night. Point. Fair point. Fair point. Um. So. Uh. This this uh infiltrator goes to attack Michael Sheen and his Imperial Guard just 
oh skewer the skewer the dude yes. with half a dozen spears. Yes. And it isn't so much that that happens. It's that that happens and it's such a level of ferocity mm. and such a considered undercurrent to the mores of this cult right, that right. seems a little over the top in a way mm. um ultimate ultimately for the way the cult just behaves clearly they're being pretty clandestine michael sheen and right, i right. don't know the other actors names but the this sort of trio of elder statesmen of this cult led by this prophetic character of the Michael Sheen right, place. Right, right. So clearly Malcolm. they're, they're yeah, they're um, keeping this group in line so that they don't sniff too much around to know what's really going on. But it's just it's just implemented in extremely barbaric ways in which, hear me, like that seems inherent to this sort of premise, but it happens so infrequently in the movie and seems so irrelevant to everything else that it almost feels like extreme for the sake of extreme then you have the uh, grotesque gruesome grisly brain screw that um, scene oh my gosh just and i'll and i'll say that like it does in by the end of the film upon pondering the film Although maybe we can make some connections here once we get there to what Dan Stevens, who is just is just glorious on. Maybe. <laughs> it's um, Mosley, by he, the way. <laughs> Mosley. <laughs> Mosley. Oh, Mr. Mosley. Yes, yes. yes. He's, oh, so he's great. Wonderful. So um, great. But what? What? <laughs> We're ridiculous. What Dan Stevens? Focus. Okay. Focus. What Dan Stevens witnesses in Peking. So I think the movie's trying to make some statement about the brutality of religious extremism, but it just is so grisly and brutal that it's kind of like, wow, these people developed these mechanisms. Although, there it is. I think I just answered that question. <laughs> um, regardless, Apostle. Yeah. And Downton Abbey. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so I, I will say, like, a lot of the film, and maybe this will come up in, and be reflected somewhat in my rating, I don't know if you recall the trailer for this film, but the trailer for this film made it look like you yes. were going to have your face ripped off and fed to you. Like it just, I mean, it was really gruesome. That was, a, that was a pretty terrible analogy you just made. Oh my gosh. Who would go I, I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch a movie that Who I think go that's going to happen to me in the watching of it. I'm so excited <laughs> to see this movie. And possibly <laughs> Netflix and chills is coming up. Reed, we're going to have our faces torn off and fed to us. <laughs> Wee! I'm so sorry. I'm a little punchy. It's late for me too. Um, but uh, I was prepared for a lot of like just real overt like terror, as it were. But really, the the film just has a kind of a an overt sadness. Like just there's a um, there's kind of a sinking feeling with everything that's happening so specifically you reference the head screw thing they call it the heathens stand and basically it is like a a, an elaborate sort of vice that they position a an offending individual into and then uh they well they kill them in a in a brutal uh way you you can take our illusion of the word head screw and and do what you want and, with and your just, imagination. just to clarify i i said brain screw brain so screw yes. oh yeah sorry brain screw yeah <clears throat> but uh and i'll be honest with you i have not 
I'm only one night removed from watching the film. I watched it last night. So I'm only one night removed from watching the film. haven't digested it very much, but there does seem to be a very interesting uh, sort of exploration the film's trying to have about the connection between religious zealotry and violence, though it's not a direct cause and effect. Like, I definitely would resist feeling like the film is saying religious zealotry results in violence. I don't think that's what the film is saying, at least not unilaterally. But I do think the film is exploring that intersection and is trying to kind of explore this in the same way that there have been these people who would purge themselves uh, by, like, flogging themselves as as some sort of penance. There, there were a lot of allusions in the film to me of people, you know, punishing themselves for some sort of benefit or gain well and like and and even like the blood that is supposed to you know satiate this goddess if you will which by the way we're not in scares yet but i'm just i'm just gonna let like all of my scares i just wrote down a whole big list of nopes just like nope 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 like do you mind if i just rattle it off real quick Nope. Okay. <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> nope on drinking blood through the floor, crazy lady. Nope on that. Nope on crazy-eyed blood-drinking lady rising up out of the sewage, chasing after Dan Stevens, who was great on Downton Abbey. <laughs> nope. Nope on wicker-faced blood boy. Like, I don't... Like, nope on all of that. Do you know... You reference it. Okay, real quick, y'all. So, um, if you're not going to watch this movie, it is pretty intense, but... Very violent. What we're what we're trying to allude to here, there's this whole it's not even really a subplot, it's just undergirds all of the actions of the the cult. Is there is this kind of woodland, at least formerly woodland nymph that when these three elder folk arrive, they subjugate her and effectively bind her to this kind of um um secreted away little shed where she through her magical mystical wood nymph powers is intended to be the fuel for this beautiful land well they have to sate her with the blood of each other and what have you well she there is this like uh uh deaf dumb kind of minion creature character that is her kind of guardian reed i don't know if you looked this up i was looking at the wikipedia earlier today at least what Wikipedia references him, I haven't looked in the credits to know if this is how the film references him, though I assume they're one and the same. The name of the character is Grinder. What? Ugh. The gr- the the Grinder. Oh my which gosh. Makes sense based on what he tries to do that's to the lovely true. Dan Stevens. Yes, that's true. Yes, the lovely. Uh, that's true because he uh yeah, which by the way, that scene itself just like is is there's a lot of scenes. Um, I'm kind of tipping my hand here a little bit in in how I'm going to land on my rating for this film, but but like there's a lot of scenes that are just relentless in their brutality. Like they are very they. It's not just that you see gruesome things happen to people uh, in most cases that you care some degree about, but it is also that there is at least a two or three minute build up before you see those gruesome things in most of these instances. Like you see poor Jeremy dragged out and put on the heathen stand all the while sitting there like, please, no, don't let this happen. And then with that grinder scene, you see 
Dan Stevens get pulled up onto that slab, and it's just yeah, there's it, it's a pretty assaultive kind of experience from a from a violence category. Yeah, it's it, it <laughs> bludgeons you over the head with some of its more gris, gruesome and and grisly moments. I do think that the in terms of scare we've, we've kind of brushed past likes dislikes um which is totally fine but in terms of scares i mean jeremy's return home is just friggin oh. devastating oh. um i mean all of that sequence is pretty awful i think to me once once kind of so the grinder creature character thing is pretty off-putting um, but once you get the tactile, tangible, these things are really existing in this, the world of this film of the grinder and the goddess, some of that edge gets worn off a little bit, you know, in terms of the mystical scare aspect, because right, right. you're like, what's happening? The, the mystery is a little, uh, subsumed by the imagery from there. That said, I do, th- and you've referenced this and I made a joke about it, but the scene of, uh, Dan's character plumbing the catacombs of this island so he's 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 trying to get from the main village area to where this shed is because he's curious about what's out there and trying to find his sister and they know they're on to him and try to um you know kind of cut him off at the pass right at the other right. end of it so what he ends up doing is basically subverting the whole path and going deeper into this sort of like I said, these catacombs. Well, it is effectively just the sewage system of the island. Well, Ugh. while in there, this goddess who you've learned, it's funny, I keep saying that funny, and it was reminded me of Kate Blanchett and Ragnarok, a goddess. <laughs> um, but <laughs> whom you've seen throughout the film, she, do, she does have mobility throughout the island, but you, you haven't seen her in the shed yet so all you know is there's this freaky looking old lady haunting the island and roaming it mm. well she starts attacking him oh and, 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 and going after him in this defecation tunnel it is so wretched and scary oh my gosh oh, it's terrible that that scene's about the the you know it, I was up to here in it. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, were. That's. I mean, it's honestly like her emergence is bad enough. Like him, sort of in this, because th- there's so many, there's so many nopes going on in that scene. First of all, nope on small confined space through which you have to crawl. Just nope on that. Yep, sure, sure. Nope on that small confined space through which you have to crawl, being two thirds full of refuse from all over um so nope on that and then nope. quadruple nope on while you are steadily making your way through small confined space two-thirds filled with sewage a being with crazy eyes and you know put potentially male- malevolent consumptive intentions rising up out of that and then wailing at you as it begins to rush after you i was just like oh my gosh that entire like there's so many fear factors in that individual situation if you you had to sum up the experience of that scene in one word what might it be nope 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 (laughs) (laughs) you're absolutely you're absolutely correct man that is a disgusting scene it is haunting it is terrifying if i had to sum it up in one word i may steal one of yours and just be like nope (laughs) um 
Let's let's do this. So we've been probably a bit more frivolous or, or you know, lighthearted than maybe <laughs> a bit unfocused, if you will, um, in a way that maybe merits some 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 digging down deeper into the oh my gosh. The, the the nope trench. Um, the nope trench. Are you open to kind of walking into theme? Yeah. No. Let's do it. Yeah. So I will say this: like I, I personally feel like the movie's a little overstuffed. It, and not not in a terrible way, not in a way that makes it a bad film by any means, but just in a like, there's a lot of events and ideas at work uh, in a way that can maybe lead to just perhaps some confusion just because there's a lot. But I do think there's some really rich thematic notions at work, if only because the script is really well written. Mm. Um, there's a lot of different places I could go here, but like, Interestingly, I did just read a, an interview with Gareth Evans today where he specifically says, I didn't want the film to be an indictment of religion. So that that actually right. is pretty interesting to me, not because I think the movie is inherently that, but something that really struck me, and part of it is informed by my current kind of exploring, over-explaining faith journey is you have this juxtaposition and so what you learn foggers is that Mm -hmm. the back the backstory of dan stevens character why he is so kind of hardened is he is formerly a a pastor slash missionary um and had led this parish as i referenced earlier about where reed was had led this parish to the, if you know, kind of the the reductive phrasing of mission field of Peking. Well, while there, they get murdered, um, and I, I can't, I don't recall. Maybe you can speak specifically to this. Are they crucifying them and then burning them, or they're just burning crucifixes? I can't remember exactly what's. No, it appeared to me that they were just in that particular crucifix he was looking at was just a burning cross. Right. But then he looked over and there was a mound over like to yes. the side here that that definitely appeared to have you know pe- people in it that were being consumed by yes. flames. Yeah, yeah. So so you learn he lost all these you know uh, if we can call them parishioners or or you know his group that he was with trying to to evangelize um was was brutally attacked for it um was was branded on his back for it watched peers murdered so you learn that that's kind of his backstory well and i am i'm inviting your conversation into this my friend so like you have that which is people carrying a faith position and tradition into a populace that yes is ultimately hostile to them but is is bringing a religious position into a place where that did not cur- previously exist okay um and being sort of consumed for it so you take religion to a place try to force it on a people and they are met with hostility well then you have that juxtaposed with the present action of the story which is a faith body imposing what you know they basically create a religion around this goddess character right um and sort of impose strictures and and regiment around that and so i was just really struck and i'm going to tie this together not totally know how to extrapolate what i think is lovely about this 
story. Through the course of the story, um, we really should look up Dan Seaman's character's name. Um, but Thomas um, Richardson. Thomas, yes, thank you. Um, there's this really lovely sort of thing that happens towards the end of the movie. He does end up rescuing his sister, finding her. Um, but the escalation of the narrative at the end um, is, is really getting out of control. The island itself um, is starting to shudder under what has happened to the goddess character. Well, I don't know if you caught this. Um, so you know he's just beset with this great tragic backstory. There's a, a woman who is fleeing the the scene of, of all this thing that's going on. And she says to him, may God be with you, Mr. Richardson. Yes, yes. And there's this beautiful moment of kind of reinvigoration, it feels like, on the part of his character. And he says, with no cynicism and also with you. That I was just going to, when you were commenting about, with my apologies for cutting you off, yeah, when you were commenting yeah. about how Gareth Evans said it wasn't an indictment of religion, uh, I was going to cite that scene and say I specifically never felt that it was an indictment of religion because there's not only that, but there's also his final line to his sister, or uh, to the... You're, uh, you're going to steal it! So, yeah, but yeah, so so yeah, you but yeah, I'll you know I'll let I'll let you lead into it. But th- there are touch points there that I was like, this is not a film that's interested in antagonizing religion. Um, but no, yes, correct. But well, let's let's figure out how to nuance this, and, and we'll have to walk into it. <clears throat> but because see, what's interesting to me is, and what I wrote here in quotes is the use of religion, because I do think there might be a case, might be of the film is actually maybe indicting forced religion. I did okay. write down earlier a theme idea is a forced kingdom. You know, Malcolm is saying there's no war, there's no taxes. Like he is trying to impose what we might call a kingdom value set uh, by force on this community. Mm. Well, likewise, Dan Stevens' character, Thomas... <sighs> understand the nuance that can be had to this comment effectively is trying to force faith on these Chinese folk that they're trying to go to. Like there's a whole lot we can parse, parse out there, but it's a similar side of a a coin. Um, So to me, what then happens at the end when he has this invigorating statement and possibly refresh of sort of personhood and faithhood, as he's, this woman says, um, God be with you, and he says, and also with you, he goes to rescue his sister finally and the kind of sort of love interest of the piece, um, but he gets mortally wounded in doing so. They're all trying to flee, and he says, effectively, this kind of go on without me sort of moment, but, but literally to his sister. And, and I, I wrote this down verbatim because I was so moved by what he says to her. And he says, this world has taken so much from me, but even in all my pain, in my darkest days, I swore it could never take you. Mm. Now, now go live. Be the light that guides me to eternity. It's so beautiful. It's Be the beautiful. Light and read, yeah. here's the thing, and here is what I want. This is a friggin' bold statement. Here is what I want the rest of my life of faith to be a work towards, uh, an, an activation in and a work towards. Because what's fascinating to me about this movie is I would say, and this is a Nathan read, <laughs> this is a Nathan <laughs> assessment, is I do think there's a world in which it is indicting a, 
a forced regiment of doing life upon a people group. What I don't think it's doing and what in fact I think it's doing the opposite of is and and Thomas maybe gets this at the end is there's a difference between imposing strictures and regiment on a people group and being a light that guides people to eternity in and of who you are. Mm. Does that make any sense? Does this distinction make any sense whatsoever? Yeah. It's oh, late. no, it definitely does. I think, I think, and I've referenced this a couple times linguistically over the last few months, I think I'm so disinterested in the forms of religion anymore. Uh, that doesn't mean institutional church is an abomination. That's not at all what I'm saying. Do not hear that. What I am saying is I think there's such a more profound version of the life of faith that is embodied and this is what dance does. And this is why it's part of his story is tragic until it's beautiful is he confuses the, the version of religion that failed him for mm. God and faith. When in fact he is the, the harbinger, the embodiment of redemption and restoration by going into a dark place to rescue. Yeah. And now, yeah. does he comprehend that at the end? I think part of me thinks, yes, he does, though maybe more emotionally than intellectually. But in him saying, you are the thing that guided me, I do think that is what we are called to be for each other. You can say it's external. You can say God is above and beyond. And on a certain level, that's totally and right and true. You can also say Christ calls us to be Christ. Yeah. And in Christ calling us to be Christ, it's to be to others a light that guides them to eternity. I don't know. I'm kind of no, just... yeah. No, I, I I hear what you're saying. I'm where where I'm scratching at. A lot of what I was thinking of as you were trying to reflect is I'm thinking on the name of the film. So so apostle and the question I was asking myself, trying to figure and trying to sort of reconcile what you're scratching at and what the film's interested in is who is the apostle of the film? Who is it? Is it is it Thomas? Because as you say, you know, this this idea of reframing as a light that guides to eternity, and he is literally a rescuer in in right. the main narrative of the film. So is he is he the apostle? And I think there's a case to be made that because of the final shot of the film, maybe that is part right. of what we're intended to take away. And then or is it that you know, these people are trying to because here's the other here's the other thing that we're scratching at. You're talking about this idea of enforced religion. I, I don't I don't think I would kick against again, I don't want to wrestle too much with semantics. I don't think I would kick against the idea of enforced religion. I think that's a valid reading of the film. I viewed it even more aggressive as that like coercive religion. When he's in P- sure. when he's yeah. in when he's in Peking, he struggles with the fact that God did not save him from the suffering. That's what he, in very reductive, in a very reductive statement from me, that's what he struggles with. God did not. I, I, real, real quick, I'm not refuting what you're saying. Is your, are you sourcing that from text that I just, I'm not remembering? Like, like that interpretation. Yeah, he's, well, it's an interpretation based on him when he's relaying the story of Peking to her. I really should look her right. up. It's Andrea. Andrea. Is it Andrea? The daughter yeah. of Malcolm? Okay. Yep. So when he relays the story to to Andrea, he 
has a moment where they, right before the the natives in Peking brand him, he begs God to appear and to show them, to stop this and to show them. And it doesn't happen. And I can't remember his line immediately following that, but his basic denouement to the anecdote is God was not there. Like, basically, God did not rescue this from did not rescue me from this suffering. And I think what you're scratching at is pretty interesting. I wonder if Gareth Evans would, would say that it was actively something he was reaching towards, because I think it might have been, that maybe a takeaway is God will never be in the the enforced, coercive nature of your trying to use God as a means to control or manipulate right. people. Right. Because think about what uh, the the big you know main antagonist of the film. Think about what the big guy, that whole big speech that he gives to them. I wrote it down. He says, "You put a god between your enemy and the people. Put the word of the Almighty between the crosshairs of their muskets, and you'll see the people won't falter, not one bit, because faith binds you." And th- th- it was interesting. We extrapolate that a little bit. Yes. So basically, he is after he has. Brutally murdered uh, Jeremy. And his own friggin' daughter. Yes. Then he takes uh, Thomas's sister and Andrea, and he shackles them up. And, gosh, I'm even reluctant to uh, repeat his plan to revitalize the land. It basically involves gruesomeness. Yes, impregnating them and then not letting them raise the children. Um, But... Basically, in that whole big sort of monologue that he unfolds, he said he's talking about. He said, "If you basically, and, and I read the quote, but basically he's saying, you know, if you fashion God in a way that, you know, you put him in between your enemy and the people, then the people won't falter a bit because faith binds you." And then he says three words. He says, "God, slave, mine." And, you know, he's just he's just sort of uttering these proclamations at that point. And so one of the things that I latched in on as the film being very interested in is this idea of religion as coercive structure. Like I right. can I can force the people to do this on the threat of severest of punishments if they don't and the promise that the land will be restored if they do, which is very different from Thomas's sort of urgency of be a light that guides me towards eternity, which is much more... And, and think about this. Think about the... And, and it's, it's played for horror in the film, but the goddess that they're referring to has these vine things that are sort of grafted into her skin. And uh, they appear to emerge from or push into parts of her skin. And the final shot of the film is uh, because what they've discovered, what Michael Sheen, you know, Prophet Malcolm's character and the others who settled on the land discovered is that, you know, giving her blood revitalized the crops and it caused crops to grow in what would otherwise be toxic ground. But then the final shot of the film and I thought about this as Thomas is just like bleeding out all over the ground. I was like, that that's gonna that's gonna bring something in. And I have a thought uh, tying it into something scriptural that might be a bit of a stretch, but I'll try to make it as brief as I can. So 
his blood then begins to sort of rejuvenate the ground, but when the blood begins to rejuvenate the ground, then the vines begin to grow into his face, and the vines begin to—he, essentially, the moment we're left with is a presumption that he will maybe be the new surrogate of this, you know, this mantle, if you will, that the that the blood will revitalize the land. And in this conversation about whether or not faith is a substance of a light that guides us to eternity or a control system in which we will, you know, he says the, I say he, the big brute, the main bad guy, says she's not a god, she's a machine. Mm-hmm. And and here's what it made me think of. This was what I alluded to a second ago. It made me think of the story of Cain and Abel. Specifically, the, the reason it made me think of the story of Cain and Abel was because Thomas's blood is spilling out, it's causing plants to grow, and I was thinking about that line where the Lord said to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So that's just what it made me think of, made me recall that right. story. But if you think about the story of Cain and Abel, and I'll tie this back into Apostle very quickly, you think about the story of Cain and Abel, the structure of the story is Abel brought a sacrifice that God accepted. Cain brought a sacrifice that God did not accept. And as a result, Cain grew jealous and rose up and killed Abel. There's all kinds of extrapolations that we could make from that, but I see a lot of maybe just distant echoes, if not direct parallels, in that basic structural story to what's happening in Apostle in that you have the big brute of a man who is basically doing violence in order to regain power and control because violence is all he knows going out of it. And, And back to your point of, you know, if we look at the story of Cain and Abel, we don't have a clear reason, at least not a clear textual reason, of why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and didn't accept Cain's, except for reasons that we would bring to the table. We don't really have a clearly defined reason in the text. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, didn't accept Cain's. Here in Apostle, we have a frustrated people who are set upon by a man who has given up his faith because he could not convince. We have no reason to believe he was coercive to the people in Peking, but he could not convince them. He could not come and thrust this religion upon them. And as a result, he had to just sort of abandon ship. And all of these things are, again, all of these things are kind of blending together. But I do think there is a real caution to us. I mean, the prophet Malcolm admits to faltering simply because he doesn't know what's going on. He admits to faltering because when when you've gridlocked your system down to these are the rules, these are the things that I uh, must abide by and the things that I must adhere to for this formula to work, then you are treating the divine like a machine. That's, then you, right. that, that is what you're treating it like. You're treating it like something that you feed and you get an end result on the other end of it instead of a light which cannot be held in your hand or you know in any way tangible to humans contained fully you know it just it it can't be anyway well and and the the interview i read with gareth evans does reference uh their treatment of the goddess character that it isn't that the reason the land is is going to rot is because of their forced subjugation of her so Mm, there's there's some there's some worthwhile kind of parallels there of like 
again, I'm in agreement that the movie is less it. I would say the movie might be anti-religion, but it's definitely not anti sort of faith and or spiritual expression. Mm. Okay. But, um, you know, these, these elders are subjugating God, if you will, in an effort to exert power over a populace. I mentioned last week, my wife asking me about why do people watch scary stuff? And I had just watched Apostle and I was like, well, because stuff like this, you know, we need to be able to name and recognize when systems of power are trying to keep us fearful in order to gain certain advantages yes. and, and to maintain power and or gain more. So it's stuff, it's it's being able to watch movies like this and be able to recognize these sorts of uh, social dynamics and or spiritual dynamics that um, help us be able to recognize those things. So where I'm going with this is you've got the oppression of this God figure um, who is bound, who is subject. Although this is where I feel like I get, I personally am a little confused by the text because she is able to roam freely too. I, I don't know. It's a little confusing, but she's able to project. She's able to project herself, but she's not able to roam freely. You don't, you don't, and I'm not refuting you, but you think that the times when she appears visibly on other parts of the island, that that is not, she's not tangibly there? That she's not tangibly there. That's my reading of the film. But because the, when Prophet Malcolm came to her, he said, you showed yourself to him. Hmm. Yeah. Now, again, I may I'm, be yeah, reading too well, much into it. Well, no, it, I mean, I, I don't know that you're wrong. It just doesn't seem to be consistent with the threat she seems to clearly pose in the 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 doo-doo tunnel and like <laughs> and like under the cabin when she you know is is scratching at the blood uh spatter anyway regardless we can talk about that a different time but the point i'm trying to make is they have subjugated her well yeah her fullest form her fullest mission and purpose is to um, renew and refresh and bear fruit of creation. Well, at the end of the film, I would say yes to your point. Thomas becomes that new vessel. He becomes yeah, the vessel. new refresher of creation itself. So yes. he, where he failed to recognize maybe the best expression of faith in his interaction in Peking he was able to bear witness to and experience in his rescuing of his sister in his capacity as renewer of the land through his own sacrifice. I don't know, man, Mm -hmm. it's all, it's all over the place. It really is. But, uh, and yeah, and I do think that the, I think the film is very uninterested in making a neat and tidy statement about how the, how these things interact um, but I do think the film is very interested in, it's fascinating to me where the film, because of people's religious constructs, enact violence, both to, pro- yes. do, both to protect those constructs and to expel those constructs. That's, uh, and to expand. Is that, is that what you mean? No, expel. I oh, mean, okay. I'm referring to... I would to, say also to expand, but yes. Yes. Well, all of that. Um, I was I was looping in Peking to uh, to the conversation as well, but um, and and they do so by violence, either to get rid of it, to uh, grow it, or to control it. Um, so that's all interesting. And then, how does life renew on this toxic land by the by the shedding of blood? It's by the spilling of blood. 
either by the consumption from this goddess being or not in the end by consumption, but by it's, it's just spilling onto the ground. I don't know if the end result will be that now he has to consume blood in a vampiric sense, but... But see, I get the impression... I'm sorry to cut you off there. No, I, get the, I get the impression that the final shot of that film is that he is not... It is, it is not that he is now going to be an entity as much as he himself is is absorbed into and refreshes by that absorption creation. Itself. I could I could read that. It's, that was not my initial reading on the film, but I could I could see that. I don't I don't have any refutation for that. I definitely think that that is it's a way to read the film that I instinctively didn't, but I don't think it's incorrect. I mean that that's definitely and, valid. And again, I'm 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 just just layering in you know, metaphor and, and, and sort of uh, interpretation that may be just what I want to see there. But I don't even know that it's literally the shedding of blood. I think it's this mystical confluence of, yes, him shedding blood in a literal sense, but it's more the conflation of, of that and his having been a rescuer, having mm. actively suppressed self in order to free and liberate uh, uh, you know, others like I, I know that seems like a weird sort of knit to pick or, or hair to to split, but I don't know that it's literally because because we see her consume blood, and and that mm-hmm. is only is only a, uh, a a temporary measure ultimately, right? At least right. as far as her relationship to the land and the people that are now occupying it. Yeah, um, at a certain his, point, it stops working. Right. His his at least seems as 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 what we're left with that. He is at least at peace, and mm-hmm. perhaps the way he is departing is himself replenishing the land as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on. It's 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 a very interesting film. I would say still, if I had to nitpick it a little bit, it's just there's there's might be a, a hair too much going on in terms of just some of the world they they've built and and kind of my at least my comprehension of some of it yeah but yeah i don't uh, i don't even totally i don't even totally disagree um i feel compelled uh for reasons i don't know maybe that are unnecessary but i feel compelled to sort of encapsulate some thoughts into something that's a little bit less questioning of the film and more sort of what did what did we glean from it i love your sort of extrapolation, and it was a line that I latched onto in my viewing of it as well, um, the extrapolation of his line, be the light that guides me to eternity. I, I I, mean, if you think about the title of the film, Apostle, and I've been trying to kind of figure out, hey, what is the film trying to say by, by that title in this context? Um, I want to think that it was thoughtful, that it wasn't just a, you know, a word to slather onto to a film. Um it is this idea, you know, you think of an apostle, it's somebody that proselytizes and spreads the good news in the context of Christianity. It's somebody who who spreads the Christian word, who who uh makes converts, but also just proclaims their faith system. And I do think that the final moments we're left with, because let's not forget, it's not just him either being absorbed into the land or spilling his blood and revitalizing the land. Also, Michael Sheen's character is there too, and right. and he is uh, bearing witness, if you will, yes, mm. to yep. to what is taking place, and and he's bearing witness simultaneously to the shattering and burning of his original construct, and then witnessing 
someone become something else. Just, yeah, yeah. If we can put that, you know, in the broadest possible terms, uh, Thomas is is becoming an other, if you will. Right. Right. And again, uh, Prophet Malcolm is is kind of uh, crippled to do anything other than bear witness to it. But I do think there's some serious considerations that we need to make about the ways we, and I'll say this, this is, it potentially could spin into another topic, so I'm really just going to hit and run this because it's late and we're tired and it's, it's time to wind down. But I think we should be, this is what I was scratching at earlier in the whole Cain and Abel conversation. I think we we want our faith to produce certain ends in our lives. We want our faith to either, you know, in in the language of the film, to grow the crops, or in the language of our lives, maybe it's just to produce blessings. We want our faith to to bring in those good things into our lives. And when it doesn't, we have really only two choices before us. We can, some of us, like Thomas, would allow our faith to falter. Uh, well, there's three choices. You can allow your faith to falter. You could, the like perhaps Prophet Malcolm, and definitely like his compadre, uh, you could resort to violence and kidnapping and threats you can you and like Cain did you can if you're not accepted or if it doesn't produce blessings for you then you just your only option is then to uh, to do away with the threat to do away with those that uh, that are receiving the blessings or the third is to get back to Thomas's line and your uh, anchor point you could decide to try to be a light where you are and that may very well be as Thomas experiences a loss of your substance, a loss of yourself, understanding that you're not going to be able to control what is at hand, so maybe you just have to surrender to it, and by surrendering to lose yourself in it, but maybe by that surrendering and that loss, as Thomas experiences, you may experience uh, a rejuvenation. You may witness the the rejuvenation that other people have scrambled and strived so hard to achieve and failed to achieve. Is that making any sense or am I just reaching at that point? No, I mean, there, uh, no, it, it does make sense. You are not purely reaching. I think by the end of the film, he experiences not just true peace, but the truest form of what he had always hoped his faith might do for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, and that's only realized in, active suppression of self in service of rescue for others. And yeah, I agree. Um, and I, and I, and as the caveat to that, one could say, well, isn't that what he was trying to do in Peking? No, I, I really am not sure that it was. Um, yeah. And the film doesn't whole, give us enough evidence. Right. And, and there's a whole giant conversation about the way we experience and discuss and the language we use around missions and evangelism in the modern world, you know. Right. Uh, right. But that's, <laughs> that is not a conversation for tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, thank yeah. you for uh, Netflix and Chills part two, Reed. Um, <laughs> yeah, no problem. This is, this is a good flick. It is. Shall we. For the second time in the history of the fear of God, (laughs) 
consult the fog meter. Let's 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 figure out the fog meter. Yes. Figure figure out where we fall in the fear category, that of just scares and whatnot, and the god category, that of what substance the movie or or piece of material that we cover, in this case a movie, had to share with us. On a scale of one to ten, we rank each of these two items. Um I'll start in the fear camp. Um there is some deliberately monstrous imagery here. Um, there's some truly terrifying moments. Um, <laughs> I'm really worried. We're going to figure out a way that this is not all going to be sevens for the rest of the <laughs> future history, the future history of the fear of God. But I, I'm going to give it a seven. All right. All right. Um, my fear factor, I'm going to give it a six because... Not only do I, I'm thinking of not only, you know, fear as scares or frights, but also like disturbing and upsetting imagery. And there definitely is plenty of that. There's lots of the nope factor. There is, you know, the nope tunnel, the nope, everything. Nope, nope, nope. Um, but I don't think it quite, even after the film was done, it didn't quite resonate with me in the way that certain other films have in terms of that impactful imagery so sure. we'll land at a six six for that um what about for god column how would you what sort of substantive ranking would you give this film future digestion of the film and possibly another rewatch at some point might might shift this a little bit but at the moment i'm going to land on a six for the god meter as well because i feel like it is very interested in very interesting things but I don't think it has quite grasped what to say about them or quite how to say it. So, um, so while I think it is really, it's it's aiming for some high goals. Um, it didn't quite land on anything for me that would um, be a sort of sub- substantive or galvanizing takeaway like some other material has. So I'm gonna land on a six for the God Meter. You have convinced me. I like the way you phrase that because I think there's a lot of accuracy there. Um, it gets major points for what it is aiming for, mm. but it feels like it's kind of flailing in its aim. Um, yes, you know, yeah. just uh, so I, I'll join you in a six. All right, and that means that we give this particular we give Apostle a six out of ten on the fog meter. All uh, right, it's actually little, like little a six point two five, but yes, at least a, at least a, a a modicum of variety. Um, but in general, uh, as we're prone to do now, just in general, would you recommend this film? I would. I think there's a lot to chew on. I think that now, to be fair, between this and 1922, I would probably uh, rank 1922 a little more focused um oh without a doubt a little a little higher if it's if if we're measuring the two but i do think this is definitely worth a watch it is not boring uh it is quite interesting um it's just maybe overstuffed yes i would give this a uh something of a soft recommendation because i do think it's like you said it's it's worth watching i was never bored i do think it's very interesting in many ways but it's violence and it's overt gruesomeness, I think, would turn a lot of lis- uh, a lot of listeners off from the viewing of it. And unless you can stomach that kind of thing easily, uh, I don't think the substance will match 
what mm. it is sort of putting you through. But if you can stomach that kind of thing easily, I think you will find it very interesting because it's got a lot of really great things going for it, both in the film craft and in the general rhythm of the piece. So a soft recommendation for me. Not a, not a wholehearted recommendation. But I, like, I like that assessment. Well, um, that brings t- uh, to a close another episode in our hashtag Netflix and Chills series. Um, I'll level with you listeners. Uh, we have maybe seven or eight options that we're playing around with in terms of where to go next, and we have not quite decided where next episode is going to be. So uh, stay tuned to social media. We will cue you in on where to go next. It's going to be on Netflix because this is the Netflix and Chills series. But meanwhile, Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation about the Apostle with me. Uh, not the Apostle. Well, oh, wait. That's the... Were we? That's the uh, yeah. That's the old uh, Robert Duvall movie. The yes, that's indeed. amazing. That everybody but needs to see. What What's funny is you're talking about these apostles, and I thought we were having a Downton Abbey conversation. I don't know. That's exactly. Uh, can, can we talk about Downton? I love. I love. <laughs> I love Mosley. Bates and oh Bates and yes. Crawleys Dowager. And, oh man, and Mrs. Padmore. So anyway, so um, Good times. yes. Um, but, uh, yes. Yeah, so stay tuned to social media to see where we're going next. Stay tuned for the social media cues to see where you can reach out to us. And Nathan, as always, thank you so much for another great conversation. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, brother. The cat, the coffee has officially worn off. <laughs> Go get some sleep and we'll see you next week. See you. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. You can continue this conversation in a variety of ways. On Twitter, at The Fear of God. On Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. You can like or follow us on Facebook or join the Fear of God Facebook discussion group. You can follow Reed on Twitter, at Reed Lackey, and Nathan, at The Nathan Rouse. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com or visit morethanonelesson.com to comment on the official episode posts. And lastly, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.